Welcome to the Vita Foods Insights Podcast. Join us as we explore the latest in science and innovation, helping the global health and nutrition industry connect, develop, and progress. Today's host is Marion Schumacher, Content Manager. Thank you for joining us for another Vita Foods podcast. With me today is the founder of Fly, Nicholas Hartmann. Um, it is a dairy alternative from Germany that is looking to take the globe, Europe, who knows. Um, but he's here to shed a little bit more light uh, and let us know how the whole idea came about. So thanks so much for joining me, Nicholas. Thank you for having me, Marion. Pleasure to be here. Wonderful. Well, how did the whole idea about, well, with pea milk come about? What was your original idea with it? Who was the target market? Can you give us a little bit more insight when it comes to the, the early stage of your startup? Yeah, I'd love to. The original idea was to create something super nutritious. So we wanted to have a plant protein source as the base of all of our dairy alternatives. That is the short version. The long version is a little bit uh, more elaborate and I'll try to keep it short, but I still give it to you now. So I grew up as a young uh, basketball player in Germany. I played for the youth national team and had, had the big dream of going to the NBA and was like all into sports. And when you're all into sports and grow up in Germany, one of the products that you just always consume is what we call maga quark, which is like something like Greek yogurt uh, in English. It's like a very protein-rich, low-fat, uh, fermented dairy product. And I was basically eating it all the time. And then fast forward after I, you know, I started working a bit and was a passionate vegan, I was realizing like, wow, there's really nothing that in the whole kind of alternative world that's beating the animal version on nutrition. So that's really what, where how Fly came about was let's create alternatives that have better nutritional values than the animal version. So we have something where people really don't have to compromise. Wonderful. That sounds great. And so I assume one of your target audiences is fellow athletes, I imagine. Yeah, but we quickly um, learned that if we really want to kind of move the needle in this whole protein transition, we need to be taste-wise really on point, which for us means that in the applications, consumers would have to say, wow, I love that, that tastes amazing. And once we hit that, the target market expands from just athletes or people who are into the functionality of things to basically everyone who's drinking dairy products at this point. Okay, good. So basically also people who just want a little bit more variety in their overall diet and who might just, you know, keep their keep their milk products but want to have a little bit more variety and cut down on their dairy consumption. Yeah, exactly. I think today one of the things that always make me the happiest when I read customer reviews of of cow milk uh, drinkers that say we were the first alternative that really kind of stood out to them and made them switch to 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 plant-based, um, at least to our milk, not fully plant-based. But that's when I read something like that, my heart always gets a little bit bigger because that's really what we are up for uh, when you look at our mission. Fantastic. And 
again, when it comes to your product, what really differentiates your product? Because obviously, we see a lot of milk alternatives on the market at the moment. We see everything from almond milk, coconut milk, rice milk. There's so many choices for the consumer. Um, what differentiates your products when it comes to, let's say, the nutritious profile? Yeah. So I think from a consumer standpoint, it's two things. One, in the nutritional side, it's the high protein content and the low sugar content. So the most kind of our signature version, the unsweetened one, has 50% more protein content than cow's milk. And it has zero, zero gram uh, sugar content and almost no carbohydrates. So it is, it's a kind of very high uh, functionality product. Um, and the second point is given that we can use kind of the, the proteins um, and like add the certain oils to it to have a nice like fatty acid profile and that we basically reconstitute uh, the macronutrient profile of cow milk, we can create a consistency that's more similar to, to let's say the cow milk experience than when you look at grain-based alternatives, for example, that were often quite watery. So consumers often say like, wow, it's like, it's quite creamy. Um, it's uh, nice and a bit thicker. It's not as watery. And um, these we think come from having more of a macronutrient profile that's similar to, or, or more similar to cow milk than let's say an oat milk. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I think, you know, especially when it comes to um, drinks that you want to make with it and baristas, uh, having something that gives you a creamy alternative is obviously important. Um, now, when we look at pea protein, there has been a little bit of a hype in that area recently, and the demand has been rising significantly. Um, with regards to supply chain, are you worried about shortages, or um, is that something that you think you've got sorted out? We hope we have it sorted out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um we think it's a fascinating space, and I think the, the pace of change in the space is phenomenal. So we think the qualities are changing very fast. There are new proteins entering the market kind of all the time. And and we always love kind of to test, I don't know if it's the next uh, or supposedly the next protein. Um, and all the next protein or pea protein supplier or pre-protein processing methodology. Um, I think when you look at shortages, we always looked at the fundamental principles of how difficult is it to grow peas, and that's pretty easy. Um, and then there should be long term no real issue with pea protein being as expensive as, as it is right now. Uh, we rather think that the prices like long term should should go down significantly. And right now we are in this middle phase where demand is exploding, supply is also exploding, but it's kind of a race on like who's faster. And if, this, if the demand uh, is kind of exploding faster then the supply can catch up, then, you know, there might be challenges. But I think at this point we are quite well set up. We always work quite closely with all of our ingredient suppliers as, as a young startup that's scaling fast. It's always quite tricky to to manage uh, the operations but but i think we have a good relationship there okay and you just mentioned your young startup scaling very quickly um i know you've been or you, i think you guys started about three years ago is that right yeah we started about uh, two and a half three years ago um, most of the time, just with R&D, just the beginning of this year, we launched uh, actually commercially in the supermarkets. 
And when you look back at the past few years, what do you think are the key learnings for you? Because I imagine there's quite a few startups listening now. We are in a global COVID pandemic. And so there's a lot of innovation happening at the moment, especially in the nutrition space. And for any young startup entrepreneurs who are listening at the moment, what would be um, what would be your key advice that you want to give them for, let's say, the first part of the journey of getting their startup off the ground? I think one is developing a food product <laughs> takes much more time than uh, you think. Uh, we expect it to be much faster to market than we were. I mean, it took over two years, the whole development process. Um, so that, that was a, a learning. And then the second is really built to scale. I mean, we started uh, end of January in just 25 supermarkets. And now a bit more than half a year later, it's around 5,000 supermarkets already. And so the ability to scale from like, you know, so so rapidly is is quite key in food because in the end it's not it's not a software product where you have awesome margins it's it's often high volume low margin products where scale is really crucial um so that's something where i always kind of nudge uh, um, founders to go as quickly as they can from let's say benchtop development to pilot plans to really see okay does my process scale here and if i run this on a 10,000 liter an hour machine does it still work um, because in the end, that's that's the quality of the product most consumers will taste. Um, and that was really key for us that, that we could survive this fast scaling at this point. Okay, great. And when you look at your mission and where you want to get to overall, um, where are you along the way and, and how far are you from achieving your goals? Well, I think we're just in the beginning. I always, I always tell my team that... Uh, this it's been a phenomenal ride and i wouldn't miss any second of it but this is it's really just we're just scrapping kind of you know it's just the start because overall i think the whole dairy market is our is our target and they are still plant-based is still a niche uh, and we want to accelerate this that this will be this will be the mass this will be the main thing and maybe there's some kind of animal element somewhere but it's tiny and then it's the question of if, if you really think that's the future and we, we reach that, then who will be the main players there? And we want to be one of the main brands globally that advances this movement. Um, and I know this is a pretty big goal, um, but yeah, we always say you got to aim high. Of course you do. Well, I wish you the best of luck. We will keep uh, we'll keep an eye out here in the UK. I hope to see you on the shelves of um, Tesco and Waitrose very soon. But for now, Nicholas, thank you so much for giving us a little bit of an insight of how your journey went and also some advice for other uh, people or other entrepreneurs who are currently in a similar situation. Thank you, Marion. It was a pleasure.